0: I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's what I want. That's what I want for Christmas. I want to learn that. I want to learn to be content in whatever situation I find myself. I I want to learn the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I want to know deep down in my soul that I can do all things, endure all things, persevere through all things because Christ gives me strength. I love you, church. And I've, I've loved studying the book of Acts with you this year. We're going to wrap up our study this morning of the book of Acts. And I, I hope, my, my hope, my prayer, is that you have seen how in the book of Acts, the church had some highs and some lows. Some times where the people in the community were responding well to the good news about Jesus and other times where they tried to kill anybody who talked about Jesus. Times that felt good and times that felt horrible. Times that were up and times that were down. But not for a moment did the Lord forsake his people. Not for a moment were they alone. Not for a moment were they losing. They were always conquerors. They were always victorious. They were victorious on the days that felt good, and they were victorious on the days that felt bad they were victorious when people were responding to the good news and they were victorious when they were being persecuted and i hope that you know that whatever comes next whatever comes next in your personal life whatever comes next in in your family's life whatever comes next for us as a church whatever comes next in our in our country in our culture whatever comes next in the world There will not be a moment where God forsakes His people. There will not be a moment where if you are aligned with Jesus and His will, where you will not be a conqueror and be victorious. I don't know what comes next, but I know this. We win. Amen? We win. We win. That's the story of the book of Acts. No matter what Satan threw at them, God's people win because they are in Christ Jesus. And their story is your story. We win. If you are aligned with Jesus and with his will, you have nothing to fear. You can learn. I can learn. We can learn. In whatever circumstance we are, To be content. We can learn that highs, lows, whatever comes, we can be calm. We can be confident. We can be courageous. We can be content. We've been talking about Paul. We've been talking about his missionary journeys. The last few weeks, we've been talking about the storms in which he found himself. The very literal storms in which he found himself, his shipwreck, his snake bite, and now finally he's reached Rome. Look at Acts chapter 28 and verse 15 as we wrap up this book. Acts chapter 28 and verse 15. Luke records, the brothers there, the Christians there, these are, these are the Christians, by the way, that Paul had written a few years earlier the letter to the Romans. The brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanks God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now, this is what we call Paul's first Roman imprisonment. There were probably two Roman imprisonments. This is the first one. And, and at this point, Paul is a low security prisoner. The, the Romans really didn't care about Paul at this point. They didn't really consider him a threat. They were really just keeping him in prison because of their obligation to kind of keep the Jewish people happy, and so they were keeping him in prison. They were guarding him. He was in chains, but they really weren't concerned about who he talked to or what he said. They didn't consider his message to be a threat yet, but eventually they would. Eventually, Paul would probably be released from this imprisonment and be arrested again. We don't have the details of that story. But on the second imprisonment, eventually, Paul is executed because they considered his message to be a threat. But at this point, low-security prisoner. Look at verse 17. And three day, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people... Or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Now, even though Paul is a prisoner, he, he does the same thing in Rome that he does in every community. We've seen this time and time again throughout the book of Acts, haven't we? When he goes to a community, where does he go first? The synagogue. Now, In this case, he's a prisoner, he's in chains, so he can't literally go to the synagogue, so he brings the synagogue to himself, and he brings the Jewish leadership to himself, and he does the same thing that he does in every community. He explains the situation, and he explains in terms that they would understand and appreciate. He said, I haven't done anything against our fathers The customs of our people. I am one of you. I am Jewish and I haven't done anything against our law or our customs. And I have not been disloyal to our people or to our customs. Look at verse 19. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. Stop there for just a second. Paul is saying, I I appealed to Caesar to clear my name, not to bring any accusations against the Jewish people. I don't have any accusations against them. This This is their vendetta against me, but I don't have any vendetta against them. I'm not angry with them. I'm not upset at them. I'm not trying to get Rome to punish them. He says, for this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. What does he mean by that? Same thing he's meant every single time he's talked to anybody. He always talks about the hope that he has in Jesus, the hope of Israel. Saying this is this is the hope I've always had. This is the hope you have whether you know it or not, Jesus is the fulfillment of the hope of Israel. The hope we've always had The hope of a Messiah, the hope of God's anointed king, the son of David to rule and reign, the hope of resurrection, the hope of life, the hope of God fulfilling the promises that he's made to us and to our people. This is why I'm in chains, because I have always had this hope, and Jesus is the fulfillment of the hope of Israel. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for, the Messiah, the one to raise the people from the dead, the one that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 patriarchs, they're all pointing forward to Jesus. He is our hope, and it's because of the hope of Israel, not because I've turned my back on our people, not because I've turned my back on our customs, not because I'm I'm against the law of Moses or I'm against the temple or any of the things they've said about me, but because I actually believe what we all say we believe. We all say we believe the Messiah is coming. We all say we believe in resurrection. We all say we believe that God keeps his promises. Well, then why are we surprised when God actually does? And I believe God is keeping his promises through Jesus. That Jesus is the Messiah we've been waiting for. That resurrection has happened and will happen through Jesus. And this is why Paul says, I'm in chains. Verse 21, and they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. So he says, we we haven't received a report from any of the Jewish people from Jerusalem, nobody sent a message, none of the people that have come here from there have said anything about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, the Christian people, the way, we know that everywhere it is spoken against, sort of biased already against Christianity, right? We've, we don't know anything specifically about you, but we've heard about these Christian people. In fact, there's a lot of Christian people in Rome, right? And so the Jewish people in Rome, the the leadership of the synagogue, they've heard about Christianity, the the way of Jesus. They call that a sect. And so they they said, we've heard about this. And everywhere, all over the known world, people are talking bad about these Christian people, about what they believe and and about what they, they are doing. Look at verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Now, I think it's important to note that no one was better positioned to believe than these, these people, right? They, they knew the law of Moses. They knew the prophets. They knew the hope They knew what God had promised to do. And so Paul and no one was better positioned to explain Jesus to these people than Paul. Paul knew the law and he knew how to explain that Jesus is the Messiah. And these people were well positioned to hear this good news and to receive it. But they weren't receptive. They weren't receptive. And I think about Paul and I think about how how frustrating that must have been, don't you? And maybe, maybe you've been there. Maybe you have people in your life that you would love for them to see what you see. You would love for them to believe what you believe. And maybe at times you get kind of frustrated that they're not receptive. Let me encourage you with this thought. We sacrifice our peace when we take responsibility for someone else's receptivity. Isn't that true? We sacrifice our peace when we take responsibility for someone else's receptivity. You are not responsible for whether or not they are receptive to the truth. Now, you are responsible for sharing the truth with them, but you are not responsible for whether or not they have ears to hear or eyes to see or a heart to believe. And imagine how much more peace and calmness and contentment and love you could have. Even love towards that person who is unreceptive to the truth. You could love them better if you took that responsibility off your shoulders. And you said, I'm I'm not responsible for their receptivity. I'm not responsible for whether or not they listen. I'm responsible for what I say And what I don't say, I'm responsible for how I say it. But I'm not responsible for whether or not they have ears to hear or eyes to see or a heart to believe. And imagine how much more content you could be. How much more calm you could be. How much more peace you would have if you recognize that you're not responsible for their receptivity. Paul wanted them to believe He wanted them to believe. He wanted them to hear. He wanted them to listen. He wanted them to see what he could see and to have what he had. He desperately wanted that for them. But he also didn't take responsibility for their receptivity. Look at verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. Here's the statement he made. He always had something that he would say and it tended to to turn some people off. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they've closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. God has wanted from the time of Isaiah to the time of Paul at every moment in Israel's history, he's wanted his people to see The truth, to hear the truth, to believe the truth. But by and large, and this wasn't true, obviously, of all the Jewish people. Paul was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. These people were were Jewish. The first Christians were Jewish. But by and large, the leadership of this synagogue and the leadership of so many communities that were well-positioned, well-positioned to hear, well-positioned to see, well-positioned to believe, they just weren't receptive to the truth. And Paul says that he's just like Isaiah, and God has sent him to a people who can barely hear and can barely see and refuse to listen to the truth, rejecting the message. And in every community, Paul experienced this, didn't he? And he would go to a community, he'd go to the Jewish people first because it was, it was their promises, it was their inheritance. It was their their word, their message, their law, their prophets. And he would go to them first because the gospel was first for them. And he would explain it to the Jewish people. And upon that community, rejecting it, he would go to the Gentiles. Verse 28, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And this is what Paul did in, in every community. He would take that opportunity when the Jewish people said... We don't want that. And he would go to the Gentile community, to the nations, to the other ethnic groups, and he would say, okay, because you rejected what was yours, you rejected your inheritance, now, now it's going to be shared with everyone else. Paul says something interesting, and I think it's important to point out in Romans, the book that he wrote to this community, to the Christians in this community, explaining that this is why, this is why God is doing what he's doing. He's taking the inheritance that was for the Jewish people and he's giving it to everyone else. And here's what God is hoping happens and here's what Paul is hoping happens. Romans 11, 13 and 14, he says, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. When Paul went to the Jewish community to say, hey, listen, listen, I want to share my family inheritance with you. I want to share my family story with you. I want you, of every ethnicity, of every language, of every nation, I want all of you to be part of my family. What he's hoping happens isn't that, that his Jewish brothers and sisters continue to be obstinate. He wants them to come around. He wants them to be sort of jealous and to say, wait a second, Th- those are our promises. That's our Messiah. This is our inheritance. We've gotten cut off from what was ours. We want back in. We want to be back in so that the family of God can be both Jewish and Gentile so that every nation, every tribe, every language could come together and share what God always intended, always wanted to be for all the nations of the world that through the seed of Abraham, Jesus, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And those that were being obstinate, Paul said, I want them to see it, and I want them to want back in. I want their hearts to be pricked. I, I want them to be convicted. I want them to see this and say, I want back in on what was originally ours. Back to Acts chapter 28, verse 30. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance and that's how the book of acts ends i love that don't you even though he's imprisoned and paul had been in prison at this point for years for years paul had been in chains ever since jerusalem Ever since he was in Jerusalem and that angry mob tried to kill him and the Romans took him into custody, he was transferred to Caesarea and from Caesarea to Rome. And from that point, for years, he's been in chains. But it never stopped him from being victorious. It never stopped him from from being courageous. It never stopped him from being confident. It never stopped him from being content. He continued to preach this message even though he was in chains even though he was falsely accused even though he was beaten even though he was mistreated. Even though he was rejected even though he had lost everything He continued to preach this message with boldness and without hindrance. With boldness meaning that he didn't stop himself from saying what needed to be said and without hindrance meaning the Romans didn't stop him from saying what needed to be said. Nothing could stop him from saying what needed to be said. Put me in chains. I'll still say what I need to say. Hate me. I'll still say what I need to say. Despise me. I'll still say what I need to say. Reject me. I'll still say what I need to say. With boldness and without hindrance, Jesus wins. The message continues to spread throughout the world. Evil cannot stop it the powers of evil and darkness cannot stop it oh they'll try but they don't win they will not win they cannot win and you and i have to get that deep down into our heart and our mind and our soul evil cannot win satan cannot stop the word of god from spreading and doing what god wills it to do his word will not return to him void God wins. And and this is what Paul realizes even in the middle of this imprisonment. And even in the middle of this, Paul writes letters. The book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon. In fact, it was probably while Paul was here in this house that he met Onesimus, the slave and then wrote the letter to Philemon. But I want us to think back about the book of Philippians. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. Think about the fact that Paul is in chains, under house arrest, writing these words. Here's what Paul says. I want you to know, brothers, he's writing to people he loves, and he loves the church at Philippi, and he's writing this letter to them, and he says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. See, Paul's, Paul's not concerned with what happens to him personally. And he's not concerned what. We, we so often get wrapped up in what, what might happen to me. What if I suffer? What if I lose my possessions? What if I lose my freedom? What if I lose my life? Paul says, so what? If it serves for the advancement of the gospel, bring it on. Bring it on. I'll, I'll suffer whatever I need to suffer. I'll endure whatever I need to endure so long as the gospel continues to be proclaimed. And he said, if my my imprisonment makes other people more bold to share their faith in Jesus, and that's what was happening in Rome. In Rome, Paul was in prison, but his brothers and sisters on the outside of that house, they weren't in prison. And they looked at Paul and they said, well, if Paul could suffer that, then I certainly need to tell my family about Jesus. And I need to tell my neighbors about Jesus. And they became all the more bold to share with others about Jesus. Paul wasn't fighting to protect his life, or his possessions, or his freedom. He was following the example of Jesus. And this is what Paul would continually say. He would say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul was surrendering everything. Look at chapter 3 of Philippians, chapter 3 and verse 8, Philippians 3, 8. Indeed, Paul's kind of recounting everything that he had at one point in his life, and he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as trash, as worthless, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I I want to be just like Jesus. I want to be like him in every way. I want to suffer like him. I want to die like him. I want to be raised like him. I want to share in his sufferings. So, what if I lose relationships? So, what if I lose possessions? So, what if I lose esteem? So, what if I lose honor? So, what if I lose freedom? So what if I lose my health? So what if I lose my life? I'm getting to share in the sufferings of Jesus. And I want so badly to be like him in his death and to attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's that's what I want to be. How about you? I want to have that sort of contentment, that sort of calm, that sort of confidence, that sort of courage that says, Oh, that I could just share in the sufferings of Jesus. Whatever situation I find myself in, I want to be content. Look at what Paul says in chapter 4 of Philippians. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. He says it this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This word peace, especially for a Jewish person like Paul, peace is a very important word. In Hebrew, it's shalom. It's this fullness, wholeness, completeness. And Paul says this shalom of God, this peace of God, it guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus so that you don't have to be anxious about every, anything, but everything, in every situation, you can take your requests and let them be known to God. Lay them at his feet and let his peace guard your hearts and your minds we think about losing things all the time. Don't we? I do. I think about what I've lost, and I think about what I might lose in the future. And I think about what I will certainly lose in the future. But think about this. Losing our hearts and minds to worry is far worse than losing our comfort, our possessions, our freedoms, or even our lives. Isn't that true? Losing your heart and your mind to worry is far worse than losing these other things. Paul lost his comfort. Paul lost his freedom. Paul eventually lost his life. They beheaded him in prison. But he did not lose his heart or his mind to worry. He allowed the shalom of God, the peace of God, to guard his heart and his mind in Christ Jesus. So that's my encouragement to you. Let the peace, let God's peace protect your heart and mind. Let God's peace protect your heart and mind. No, no matter what the doctor says, let God's peace protect your heart and mind. No matter What gas prices are, let God's peace protect your heart and mind. No no matter how the elections go, let God's peace protect your heart and mind. No matter what the economy does, let God's peace protect your heart and mind. In everything, in every situation, in every circumstance, let God's peace protect your heart and mind. Now that doesn't mean you don't care about those things. It doesn't mean you're indifferent, it doesn't mean you're apathetic, it means that you are allowing the shalom of God, the wholeness of God, the completeness of God, the peace of God, to guard and protect your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When we we become disciples of his, when we put Jesus on in baptism, when we're forgiven of our sins and filled with the Holy Spirit, we know that after we come up out of that water, we're going to continue to go through storms. We're going to continue to lose things until eventually we lose even our life. But we do not have to lose the peace of God. We do not have to lose our hearts and our minds to worry. You have a choice to make. Will you allow the peace of God to guard and protect your heart and mind in Christ Jesus? And if we can help you with that in any way, you can visit with the shepherds after service or you can come forward as together we stand and sing this song.